Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 107 for August 30th, 2007. VeriSign's open ID and toward more perfect passwords. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. And by Nerds on Site. Looking to grow your IT service business? Find out how Nerds on Site can help. Visit IWantToBeANerd.com. It's time for Security Now, everybody's favorite security podcast. And uh, thanks to your votes, the number one technology and science podcast of the year. Podcast award winner. Steve will be collecting his award at the Podcast Expo at the end of the month. Yep. That's pretty exciting. Well, it's it's my one chance really to annually... Uh, hook up with Elaine, our transcriber. She, I met her for the first time, even though we'd had about, I guess, a year and a half worth of relationship electronically uh, doing our transcriptions. Uh, you and I both met her for the first yeah. time during during the last podcast desk, that, which was really that fun. Was fun. Yeah, I will not be there, but I'm gonna, I wish you all the best. You'll be there in spirit. Leo. I will. I will. And none of this none of this would be happening were it not for you and your spirit. So, uh, <laughs> well, it's true. It's my goal actually to win every year with one podcast or the other. <laughs> So, well, good. Next year, maybe Mac Break Weekly because they were nominated this year, and I feel bad. But you know, you 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 predate them, so we're well. And what's annoying is that your your mainline Twit podcast and Mac Break Weekly and Security Now are all in the technology right. science category. Well, everything I do is, and we can and, no longer win the People's Choice Award because we won that. So we're we're basically <laughs> running out of ways to win but, uh, but uh, as long i'll just keep making podcasts and we'll find a way to win yeah, it's not like that's a problem i was over on your page the other day and it's like my goodness yeah. look at all these things uh, you're doing yeah i gotta stop and busy stop boy soon so uh today what are we going to talk about mr gibson well a couple things i want to talk about uh in detail the vip program which really first came to light uh, publicly when our guest from PayPal was talking about how they're using VIP, which is VeriSign Identity Protection, as their back-end system behind PayPal and, and eBay's um, authentication fob, which was you know the so-called PayPal security key that I thought was such a cool thing, and which I really do continue to think so. What I did was I, I plowed into that and found a bunch of cool stuff, uh, told you about it, and now you know about it. So now we got to tell our listeners. So <laughs> I've signed of, up. I'm ready. I'm I'm using it. I love it. So I want to talk about that, but also because I didn't think that would take a full episode worth of time, and because there was something else going on, I thought I would talk about something we've never mentioned before: uh, a way of protecting the use of symmetric encryption, something called CBC which is cipher blockchaining. Mm. It comes up because I implemented it recently for the perfect password, blah, 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 blah. the perfect GRC's perfect pa- or our popular perfect passwords page. <laughs> PPP. Uh, yes. Yeah, so more than 3000 sets of passwords are generated a day. And I looked the other day and more than 3 million sets of passwords have been generated wow. total. It's just, it's very popular with people. Wow. Wow. The, Popular perfect passwords pages is very popular with people. So, um, and so now what we have is even more perfect passwords, uh, which are the same number of passwords, but they're even more perfect than they were before. So we'll talk about that. So a couple of things to talk about today. Before we get to that, I do want to mention uh, that is today is a, is an odd podcast. So we will start with our even sponsor, which is a star. <laughs> Only Steve and I know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> but a star. We're so glad that a star is part of this show because, and they have been for well over a year. Uh, that's what makes it possible, really, to do this. Is the, is the not only the support of listeners, great listeners like you. But also of our advertisers, and we couldn't be happier to have Astario and the Astario Security Gateway on board because it's such a good security project product. If you're running a business and you need to protect yourself, you need to provide those fundamental security services. There's no easier way 
that an Astaro security gateway integrates into one box a complete set of security technologies comprising the best open source and commercial software covering all aspects of security. Of course, you get firewall and remote access. By the way, now using SSL uh, for the VPN, which is great. Uh, then seven, so you get IPsec L2TP over IPsec PPTP tunneling with SSL VPN. But you also get intrusion protection. You get uh, three different kinds of antiviruses. You get two, two kinds of antivirus scans on your email. You get web content antivirus scans. So really anything that comes into your system is, is completely scanned and filtered out. You get uh, content filtering. You control IM and P2P usage. You have anti-spyware. Uh, you also have transparent encryption. I, mean, I can just go on and on. I mean, this thing is loaded. Tell you what, try it. That's the best way. Just try it. Uh, you can uh, go to uh, Staro's website, astaro.com, and arrange for a free trial in your business. Or call them direct, 877, the number 4, A-S-T-A-R-O. Make sure you mention that you heard it on Security Now. 877, the number 4, Astaro. Or you can, if you're a non-commercial user, even download a copy. Try for free. That includes, by the way, all the antivirus, all the updates that I mentioned, absolutely free. A-S-T-A-R-O.com slash security now you'll see steve's happy face on there that's the that's the site key is steve's smiling mustache <laughs> i think it's a little bit smug for my taste i but... like it <laughs> okay it doesn't look smug it looks secure <laughs> ast you want to see it go to astaro.com slash security now and uh we we really thank them so much for supporting uh, the show security now it's astaro dot or call 877 the number 4 Astaro. Let's say do we I know we do a mailbag episode now every other episode but I just uh, you have any uh, any quick uh, emails uh, you want to address or I've talk got about? I've got two things um one is an errata and one is uh I keep trying to look for interesting spinrite stories from our listeners uh that are not repetitious and I found one where a guy bought spinrite by mistake, which I'll explain in a second. But okay. I did want to mention that a couple of weeks ago on this on the second Tuesday of this month, um, you may remember that week before last, I reminded people to make sure they were up to speed with their Windows update because Microsoft had uh, was was pushing out nine different <laughs> yep. updates, so yep. a little larger than usual. What was significant is. That and, and this actually created a lot of buzz in the security industry, is that one of those nine was a fix for three problems in the new Vista gadgets. Really? Little, yes. And so, wow. you know, Leo, you have continued to talk as we've talked about um, security issues. You, you've, you've been focused on, like, whether Vista would have been safe, whether this is different in Vista and so forth. What's significant is that... Vista's gadgets being Vista only represent a, a a new problem that prior versions of Windows, such as XP and 2000 and so forth, would not have had because they didn't have gadgets. And and the, the reason there was some buzz in the security industry is that one of these was a buffer overflow, uh, i.e., you know, critically rated, take your computer over, remote control, blah, 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 in the... RSS feed reader mm, gadget, mm. which means that had any bad guy been able to push a properly malformed content into any feed that was popular and that people had subscribed to, their Vista Ooh. machines would have been commandeered. Ooh, wow. So it you know you can see why there was some buzz. It was like whoa you know here's an example of something you know a new feature and I mean and, and frankly this is what we were talking about here well before Vista's release was new features are going to have problems and people go oh well well but we're checking them we're you know our whole new security profile and we're you know scrutinizing our code. It's like yes I know new features are going to have problems. And that's exactly what happened here. So the good news is Microsoft found it. Someone reported it. Microsoft patched it and and fixed it. But this is, you know, again, it's an example of, you know, standard sort of security philosophy that you just can't get away from. 
Yeah, interesting. And uh, you know, those are written in. Uh, I, th- I thought they were written in JavaScript, like most widgets and gadgets are. But there must be some code in there as well. Well, you're always dependent upon lower level stuff. So right. it might have been it might have been in the JavaScript. It might have been in a library that was called to parse some of the uh, data. You know, uh, you'd have to be on really deep in this to know where the problem was. But you know, Microsoft confirmed that yes. Had you subscribed to a malicious feed or a good feed that had mistakenly uh, provided some malicious content, your machine could have been taken over remotely. Mm-hmm. So, Fascinating. All right. Anyway, we have a, a Security Now listener, Rob McCall in Oak Ridge, New Jersey, who says, and I kind of like this one because this was, again, it was a different kind of of uh Salute to Spinrite. He said, I'm a longtime listener of Security Now and have learned much from your great podcast. I've also been a longtime fan of your site, which has educated me to no end. I've been debating whether or not to purchase Spinrite for quite some time. I finally decided to buy it when I started having problems with my HP desktop computer. Hmm. Whenever I started the computer, it would, ra- it would rarely make it to the logon screen. And even if it did, I could not log on because the screen froze and I could not do anything about it. So I purchased Spinrite thinking maybe it was just, he says, I love that. Now hard drive problems are just a hard drive problem because we have Spinrite. <laughs> and he says, thinking maybe it was just a hard drive problem. Just a hard problem. drive problem. <laughs> ah, we can take care of that. He said, sadly, it was a failure with another part of the system oh, and not my hard drive. So Spinrite was unable to help him. He says, since then, I have used Spinrite several times on my collection of old hard drives. Much to my amazement, Spinrite was able to recover data from these drives that every other program and company had deemed unrecoverable. Wow. This is one purchase I know I will be happy with for a very, very long time. Spinrite is a cheap solution well, I would rather call it an inexpensive, inexpensive solution. Inexpensive, yes. Hey, yeah, to, to services that many companies will charge several hundred, if not thousands of dollars to do. I cannot thank you enough, Steve, signed Rob McCall. Wow, that's so, great. Rob, thank you for listening to Security Now, for visiting GRC, and for purchasing Spinrite. It took a while, but you're glad you got it, so I'm glad for that. That's really neat. All right, let's get to our topic of the day. Two of them to talk about today. Practically perfect ex- passwords. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have as much coffee in your system, Leo, as <laughs> I do, in, in order to handle even more perfect popular passwords. <laughs> whatever, whatever he or whatever, said. Whatever that was. Whatever he the pop, said. The popular perfect passwords perfect page. Have it a high. And first, go ahead. Yep. And but first, we're going to talk about. Do this. First, we're going to talk about. We're going to step all over each other. So it's PIP and PPP is what it is today. There you go. Yes, um, our 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 PayPal um, security guy who we had on a couple of weeks ago talked about how VIP was the back end that PayPal was using the VeriSign Identity Protection System. So I did some digging around and I discovered that there's a program in beta which is called PIP, P-I-P, and that stands for Personal Identity Provider, and that's being hosted at verisignlabs.com, not oh, Verisign, okay. Verisign Labs. Yeah. So if our listeners go to, and, and, uh, and in the show notes, I've got links to all this, so people who are just listening to this while they're out jogging or driving around, if they go to the show notes, they can, they can pick up the links for this. It's pip.com. VeriSignLabs.com. That's the doorway to all this fun stuff. And what's what's so neat is that VeriSign Labs, that uh, that that is the, this PIP, the Personal Identity Provider, which is what PIP stands for, is in beta, but it's up and running and working. And these guys are an open ID um, provider. That is, they are an open ID compatible authenticator. Now, you'll remember that we talked about the whole open ID system a couple months ago. The idea being that it would provide you with single a single point of authentication, so-called single sign-on technology, where you would go to any other site that is open ID friendly, and you would be able 
to instead of needing to log on and create individual log on credentials for for each such site, they would be able to ask a third party server, in this case, VeriSign Labs, to authenticate you. Well, what's so cool is that VeriSign Labs, that is this pip.verisignlabs.com, you're able to create open ID accounts, and actually you could have as many of them as you want. For example, I have stevegibson.pip.verisignlabs.com. I got Gibson, I got GRC, I got Steve G, I got a bunch. And I would I would encourage our listeners who are interested to run over there and get their names in various flavors that they want signed up because this may end this may well end up being you know something that you're you're glad to have been able to get your name on which if you know if somebody else comes along and has the same name you do would pre preempt you subsequently from doing so so but the idea is you you create these open id accounts then you can associate them with multiple second factor authentication starting with the paypal security key so you can you can give the serial number of your paypal security key to ver to this to this site as part of your your account creation and they will sell you more uh, in fact, they will. You you can choose on on the on the purchase form whether you want one, two, or three. Now these are not as inexpensive as the keys from PayPal because, as we know, PayPal is essentially covering the cost for this because they want to promote the use of their security key. Verisign doesn't have the same motivation. Their dongles. Oops, I'm sorry. Fobs. <laughs> Their fobs are $30 a piece. Ah, um, but I can use my $5 PayPal fob with this. You can use, yes, you can use the $5 PayPal fob that you already have. But remember that we were also bemoaning the fact that PayPal would only allow you to register a single fob at a time, which, which prevented us from leaving one at the office right. and leaving one at home so that we didn't have to worry about filling up our keychain full of these. Well, first of all, the fact that VeriSign Labs has this program, which is in beta, which is an open ID provider. It's beginning to solve the problem of ev of needing individual um, second factor authentication fobs or dongles or doohickeys or thingamajigs for every different provider because open ID is clearly gaining strength and they will they're able to function as an open ID authenticator. So and the fact that you're able with VeriSign, not with PayPal and eBay, I want to make sure I want to make clear that that's still a single fob system. But with VeriSign, you can register as many of these as you want. Um, I've got four at this point just because, you know, <laughs> just because Why I not? could. Well, just so I want to make this clear, though. You can use your PayPal fob with VeriSign, but you can't use those extra VeriSign fobs with PayPal. It's a one-way street. Exactly. Okay. Um, or at least not at the same time. You could probably deregister your PayPal right. fob and register a VeriSign fob because the fact is they're all from VeriSign. They look identical. The VeriSign ones are a nice VeriSign purple color, whereas the PayPal uses that PayPal sort of... I don't know, gray. gray. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, this, this, they, they, so I just did this. I signed up at pip.verisignlabs.com, created an open ID account, and then I and then I added it. Now they call it a certificate, though. Uh, a credential. A credential. So I yes. added my credential, my little key, and now it's working with that. So that's yes. really cool. So now one key works with open ID now too. Yeah. So now you have very strong, you know, not only something you know, but something you have two-factor authentication. And so when you go to a site which is using OpenID, and in fact, VeriSign Labs has a list of all the sites that are currently supporting OpenID, and these are not sites that support VeriSign, they just support OpenID. So for example, when, when Microsoft is with, with Vista supporting OpenID through their UI, you'll be able to use that. It's also worth mentioning that there's a nice Firefox extension. I know what a fan of Firefox you are, Leo, called Seatbelt. And Seatbelt 
allows you to automatically authenticate yourself with OpenID sites. And in fact, in this, I learned about this from the PIP uh, VeriSign Labs website where they, they give you a link to go get the seatbelt Firefox extension because this is all interoperable. Yeah, so anyway, I installed that. And what's nice is once you log in to Seatbelt, you got a little button on your Firefox toolbar that says PIP and says your your ID name. And now whenever I go to an open ID site, I just it's one button and yes. it verifies. Oh yeah, okay. Uh yes, you're, you, you're you who you say you are. We know you are and boom, that's done. Yes, it is it is very cool. I so, just wish more people would support this. That's the only well, we're, you know, we're on the leading edge of this stuff, and I think it's very clear that as, you know, again, we have a chicken and egg problem. We need people to be asking for it in order for sites to go, oh, okay, yeah, I guess. You know, at some point, I think it's easily foreseeable that a couple years from now, OpenID will be the technology that won because it was completely open. It was well-designed. Nobody's trying to make any money from it. It's just like, yeah, we want to be an open ID provider. We want to, or in, in the other case, we want to allow open ID because we recognize it makes our site more easy for people to use. Well, I'll make a little pr- a promise to you. I know uh, I'm upgrading my Drupal and Drupal will support open ID. So at some point, twit.tv will, I'd like to get my forums to do that. I'll find a plugin to do that. And I know that uh, I do one WordPress blog for a Munchcast. We'll turn we'll turn on the OpenID plugin for WordPress there. So I'm gonna I'll do my part to make my sites as as as, as OpenID com- compatible as I can because well, I like I'm the go- idea. I mean, this is great. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the right thing to do. Also, there is a there's an information card feature now. I mean, I, I'm watching these features evolve on PIP just over the last few weeks. Um, for example, you just registered your cell phone as a secondary authentication right. where where they will send you an SMS message in order to verify that, that, you know, again, something you have is the second factor of authentication that that you're in possession of your cell phone. So, so here again, that feature wasn't available just three or four weeks ago when I was, was doing this research and now it's online and up to speed. So this stuff is, is happening very quickly. But, but for example, if I were to, after getting everything set up with with VeriSign Labs, if I were to go to one of these sites that supports OpenID, I, I identify myself, for example, in this case, as stevegibson.pip.verisignlabs.com. Now, that's now, okay for you to give that out. Yes, because I'm my. there's no way that anybody else can authenticate under my name because this will come back to VeriSign and VeriSign will say, okay, what's the six digit code currently showing on any one of the, the fobs that you have registered with See, our that's, system? That's really neat. I really like, I like, this makes to me open ID really secure and I really like that. And, and, yeah. uh, and so you get the convenience of that one time sign on. I mean, my now with Firefox, I, I'm signed on. So it just does it automatically. But it, but uh, it's only while I'm here, and as soon as I close Firefox, it's gone. And unless they have my fob, won't do it. Now, what I'm hoping is that that while this is in beta, we've got this somewhat cumbersome URL. You know, stevegibson.pip.verisignlabs.com. What I'm hoping is that they've already nailed down some very cool top level domain you know like vip or or maybe just pip or my id or something cool so that w- when this comes out of beta all of our existing accounts will also be valid at a much shorter url so it's stevegibson.vip.com or right, or, or right. my id or, or or something like that that would be very cool because it's still a beta program it's still at verisignlabs.com but yeah i presume they've got pip or vip or something now harsh as we've been about u3 in the past it's also worth mentioning that that is another option that verisign offers that is you can install and or uh, i couldn't quite understand whether it was something you had to install or was already present but they do also support the sandisk usb flash drive in in u3 mode so apparently there there is a a, something that they feel is secure enough that you can use u3 and there's a there is a vip credential software Hmm. that is tied to 
the USB flash drive hardware that makes it secure enough that that's another uh, another means of authentication if you didn't want to use the fob. So you would uh, somehow put something on your uh, SanDisk U- U3 key, which I have one in front of me right now, that would be in, in lieu of logging in. It would be your physical identification. Yes. And now, of course, the now, problem... Now it's a dongle, by the way. And Oh, oh you're right. It's not a fob. It's a dongle. <laughs> so if you want to um, use a dongle instead of a fob, you could do it that way. The problem, of course, is that you would need to stick that into whatever computer you were visiting. Right. And so that's a little more invasive and intrusive than just having this fob on your keychain. Right, right. For your authentication. I'm, I'm just intrigued by this whole system. Um, by yes. the way, once you sign up for your PIP account, you can add fields. You can create a, an information card with information in it that you can then use for instance, uh, I, I always use as a nickname Chief Twit when I create a new account. So it, it can actually populate that automatically. Uh, you could say, yeah, use Chief Twit as my nickname. Yes, exactly. And in fact, the information card is what is, is essentially what we were talking about over on CardSpace under Vista, where they're able to where you're able to create information cards to contain different sorts of information. The, the 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 cool thing is that this information is not stored on your machine. Rather, it's stored in this case on Verisign's right. servers. Right. So you authenticate your yourself to Verisign, then you 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 log in with an with your Verisign open ID and then Verisign provides the information directly to that third party site that you have that you have previously given to Verisign with the instructions to provide that along with your open ID the point is that this begins to make it substantially more secure to use computers you don't have control over. You could go, for example, to the library and and do something that you would normally never do on a library computer, um, for example, because none of your information ever goes um, into that local computer. It's all being it's it's being handed off between VeriSign server and the site you're visiting, rather than to that local machine. Well, I'll give you some other advantages. They're really doing this open ID right. They have a list on the VeriSign Labs site of your trusted sites, sites you've used this open ID to establish a relationship with, and your activities. So, for instance, I try to log into the site with the wrong password. It failed. I have a record of that and when it happened. So, yes. So, uh, I think this is really a nice implementation of open ID. They also allow you to do your own site key, to upload an image that only you know what it is and presumably only you have access to, and uh, and add additional security by doing that. I well, as a matter of fact, Leo, I, I, I'm looking at my page, and I've got that smug-looking picture of me. <laughs> that, no one else that, has access to that. That cartoon that you had done for, for security now, and I, I snipped it out, made it the right size. Yeah. And, so, and so the point is that you know when I log in, my this photo of me is showing and that's a, additional verification that I'm actually at VeriSign Labs and that there's been no sort of spoofing going on because right. nobody else would have access to that to that picture. Oh and I will I will mention also that I smiled when you try to go there over a non encrypted connection that is over just HTTP it won't let you. It immediately moves oh. you into an SSL connection. So all of this is 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 protected and uh, is is locked up by you know their uh, certificates. Excellent, excellent, excellent. It's well implemented. I have to say, uh, I, you know, and I've been critical of Verisign in the past, at least as a registrar, but uh, they've done a nice job here. Done a nice job. Yeah, I really agree. I yeah. think that this is I anyway, I really I wanted to bring it to our listeners attention because you know, here is a functioning working strong third-party verification system that's that is that is I mean it's only running open ID. That's the whole point of this is to be an open ID pr- identity provider and authentication service and it uses your our existing uh PayPal security key and additional ones, and has other means for doing multi-factor authentication than just the fobs. Right, right. So it's a win. I, I like it. Um, before we get to, that was PIP. Before we get to PPP, 
that was part that was part one of today's two part security now episode. This is the P episode. All P's all the time. This uh, before we get to uh, practically perfect passwords, who are now fully perfect passwords. But we'll explain what's happened. Uh, let me mention uh, our fine sponsor, the Nerds on Site. You know, they they kind of compliment now the show. I love what the nerds do. You know, they're obviously fans. So right away, when Nerds on Site uh, started sponsoring the show, they they it had to be beforehand because uh, they were a fan of yours, Steve. They uh, did a site license for Spinrite for every Nerds on Site. So that's the kind of thing you get is you get these additional capabilities. So you have a site license if you're a Nerd on Site. Uh, user, if you're a, I want to be a nerd.com kind of guy, you've got spin or gal, because there are lots of women in this too, by the way, uh, you've got a spin right license. Well, I understand they've done the same for the Astaro security gateway and they've got training and certification. So uh, if you want to be a security whiz for your clients, another great way to do it. Let me, I, it's hard for me to explain exactly what nerds on site is. It, it, you probably should just go to, I want to be a nerd.com and, and read up there. But basically the idea is you are in business. You're supporting your customers. You're an IT person or you're a troubleshooter. You're a fix-it technician. Maybe you're in sales, training, security. You could even be a project manager or a programmer. But in some way, you work in the information business. But you don't want to have to do all that paperwork, the hard part about running a business. You want to focus on what you love doing. Then that's when Nerds on Site steps in. They are in seven countries, the Canada, U.S., Mexico, England, Australia, South Africa, Bolivia, they help you be in business for yourself, but not by yourself. So they've got training, over 250 different competencies in their University of Nerdology. Everything from system architecture design, software development, on-site IT, desktop support, Soho and residential IT. Uh, plus, you, they help you get business. They help you keep business. I've, I've talked to now so many nerds uh, up in Vancouver. We, we got together with six of them, and it was so much fun. And they love, they love being part of this organization if you're a nerd you love working with people and you'd like to take your business to the next level www.iwanttobeanerd.com you register for a nerds only meeting in your area today www.iwanttobeanerd n-e-r-d you know how to spell that dot com and you can find out more about it they they've got a video right there on the front page of their coffee with steve gibson which is cool uh, they have a presentation, Day in the Life of a Nerd. Pictures of their nerd mobiles all over the world. Uh, it's just a really neat group. I want to be a nerd.com. Find out more about Nerds on Site. I think you'll be glad you did. And we thank them so much for their support of Security Now. So, passwords. You okay. you started this page a while ago, the practically, the perfect password page. Perfect passwords, and it's turned out to be uh, popular perfect passwords. <laughs> yes, it has. Uh, about 3,000 sets of them are are pulled every day. And wow. I hear from people all the time who just, you know, love the idea. Um, I went to e- extreme measures to to make this safe to use. Uh, sim- similar to VeriSign, you cannot display that page over a non-encrypted non-SSL connection. Good. If you try, it switches you into that mode before it goes any further. I also have a bunch of, of headers and code on the on the page that prevent the caching by uh, any servers, even if the server could intercept it, which it probably can't because it's over SSL, and so it's not going to be running through a proxy. So, I mean, it's it's really, really safe. Now, I was I was of the opinion that using... RSA's random or uh, RSA's pseudo random number generator would be all I ever needed. Um, then, after I implemented that, I wrote a bunch of code to sort of t- to to take it to the next level. Well, I had thought that I put that code in place, but it turns out that I had I had written it, but and, and and assembled it, but never took it online. So. By just some bizarre coincidence, someone in the security field um, thought, I'm just wondering, you know, how random Steve's passwords are. (laughs) So he wrote a bot. He wrote a bot (laughs) to pound on the password page. That is to pound on the perfect passwords page. Good for him. And I knew something was going on because I I saw this happening and it it, it was over the uh, there was like. An initial little burst of of insanity when like 
somebody was pounding on the page. And then a couple of days later, it like went on for 24 hours. So this guy collected a, you know, a ton of the passwords that were being presented by the page and, and then ran them through a statistical randomness tester. And he came to the conclusion that these were not as, as there wasn't as much entropy in the resulting passwords as possible. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. I mean, okay, now, this doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> They're entropy as, enough. Well, and, and, and as we know, it, you don't, it doesn't matter that if you, if you got, you know, 100,000 of these and did an, an analysis of statistical entropy, whether I'm at 100% or 9997 because or even 75%. I know, because we know what you want is a password that you cannot guess. And certainly if you've <laughs> you ever seen any these. of these, yeah, you know, they they're just insane passwords. So, um anyway, so the, the 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 trouble is he created a blog posting somewhere where he said he talked about his analysis. I mean, he's a nice guy. Uh, he and I have corresponded several times since. Um, he, his first attempt to process the passwords had some of his own bugs in it that made it look like it was really bad. And that, you know, but then he fixed his own bugs and then he said, okay, this is not so bad. Uh, <laughs> but still, it's not perfect. So I was like, okay, maybe it's not perfect with a capital P. But again, you have to have like 100,000 of these in order to detect any variation from them not right. being absolutely random. It's practically so, perfect passwords. Well, I mean, it's, it's not even potentially perfect. It's <laughs> they're, they're essentially perfect for the, for the good the, enough for the, for the reason that we're generating right. them. Right. But I thought, okay, fine. <laughs> I'm going to fix this. So, um, so what I did was I, I, finally implemented the algorithm that I had written but not implemented, which I think our listeners would find interesting because they, it brings to light something that we haven't discussed before. Um, first of all, I promised people that we would never be issuing the same password twice. Well, given the fact that this thing is a – it ends up with a 256-bit result – it's very certain that we haven't done that. You, but have, I thought, you okay, haven't wrapped around yet, in other words. Well, you know, oh my God, I mean, 256 <laughs> bits, I don't even, you know, it's, you know, that, that, that's a, ways a ridic off. ridiculously big number. Yeah. But, but what I decided to do was to implement a system where I would have a monotonic counter, meaning a counter that only goes up, never goes down. Every time I increment the counter, I store that value, and I'm actually storing it in a registry key on the GRC server, and and many different processes in my server use this. For example, it's the way my e-commerce system generates a, the, the thing I call a crypt token, which is a, a non-repeating token that is used uh, uh, in order to hand our individual uh, e-commerce users a, a, a token that's only good once. And so, so anyway, I'm using the, the same thing with the perfect passwords page, and I am using the state-of-the-art AES, that is the Rheindahl encryption, which is a 128-bit a block cipher, meaning that it takes 128 bits in, and as we'll remember from symmetric block ciphers, it it turns that using a, a secret key, it turns that 128 bits into a different 128 bits. And it does so reversibly, meaning that when you encrypt it, it goes one way, but you're able to, to give the same key to the, to the matching decryptor, and it will, will reverse the process. Well, and this is the problem with, with using a symmetric block cipher is... Okay, so I've got a counter. So I so it's, imagine that the counter starts at one, and I encrypt that. And oh, and this is a 128-bit counter. The counter is actually 256 bits long because you know why not? But I'm using the least significant 128 bits of that 256-bit counter because Rindall takes in its 128-bit block symmetric cipher. 
So my so imagine that my count is one and I encrypt it. And it's going to turn it into basically 128 random bits. I mean, that's a good good crypto does that. It turns something not random into something random. It's not compressible. It's highly random. Then I increment my counter to two and I encrypt that. Well, it's going to turn it into a completely different looking 128 bits. So together we've got these, we, now we have 256, you know, completely random sets of bits. The problem is that an attack on this would be if you were crazy enough to try to brute force the key. If you knew that it was a counter that is a simple monotonic increasing counter that was generating these, what you could do is take the output and start trying to decrypt it with every possible key. And if by some chance you hit on the key, and again, this is a 256-bit key that is that is driving the mapping between the the input 128 bits and the output 128 bits. But you know, okay, if you, I mean, technically, if you knew that this was a counter on the input, then all you would have to do, you would know when you found the right key because successive decryptions of successive 128-bit outputs would suddenly result in two numbers that were one off from each other because we because the input was just a counter now in my case i'm using just a counter but in many other instances where you're encrypting something you've got for example um a uh, an ip packet where you've got a header that isn't changing or or a header with known fields and we've talked about this earlier in our crypto episodes so so there's a problem with using symmetric crypto like this any time you either have repetitious data as you would for example in the similar header of every IP packet that was being encrypted or if you've got predictable input data as is the case in my use where I have a a large counter which is feeding data into the crypto the way you solve this problem is what I wanted to talk about, which is this called CBC, cipher block chaining. And this is, again, something super clever that the, the crypto guys came with, up with that prevents the reverse engineering through a brute force attack like I've been talking about. And it's actually very simple. The idea would be, say that we take my first value uh, when the counter is one and we encrypt it, and that gives us are our first 128 bits of random result. Um, that's our first output. But now we use that and we XOR that using the exclusive OR operation. Remember, and we've talked about this, where basically it's conditional bit inversion. We XOR the first output with the next counter value. That is, the counter counts to two we XOR that too, and that's what we encrypt. Well, now what we've encrypted is no longer predictable. It is, it is not predictable from a standpoint of being able to use brute force approaches to determine what our, our input was, no matter how many keys we try. And so the idea is you just keep this process going. You take the second output, you XOR that with the third input to create your third output. And the, what's very cool about this is, is if you start at the beginning, this is a reversible process. But, uh, but it's, it's only by, by having the, the, the proper starting point that you're then able to move this forward in, in, in this iterative fashion. Anyway, I've got a diagram of this algorithm on the new Perfect Passwords page. Um, I don't have it up yet, Leo, at the time that we're recording this, but I will by the time that, that we hear this, because um, I wanted to completely explain to people 
what this new algorithm is. And rather than asking our intrepid um, security researcher to to suck um, hundreds of thousands of new per different algorithm uh, as perfect passwords off the page, uh, he's asked for, I think it was 16 meg of output. So I'm providing him with a file of, of 16 meg of the new random data for him to analyze so that he will revise his page th that he posted on the blog saying that the uh, GRC's perfect passwords were not as perfectly random as, you know, given 100,000 of them and an analysis of entropy as they possibly could be. And, and I ought to also mention that he has continued using them even after his blog posting because he says he has tools in Unix that would generate similarly random stuff, but it's just easier it's to easier. go to grc.com. So now exactly. he trusts you. Yeah, well, he always did, and 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 actually, he got it was really his the, the as I understand it, it was the early coding mistake that made him believe they were horribly non-random. And I should emphasize his coding mistake. Yeah, exactly, Not his yours. coding mistake. Yeah. Um, and I thought, okay, while I'm at it, I mean, I want to remove this blogging post from the net because you, you, I mean, we have had people write to 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 us and say, hey. You know, what about this blog that this this posting this guy made? Uh, are your passwords safe? And it's like, yeah, look, he's still using them. They're so safe. <laughs> so they're all right. <laughs> but it's like, okay, fine. Maybe our, I guess RSA's random number generator isn't as good as it's possible to make one. So now mine will be. Yes. <sighs> what a relief. <laughs> i now feel safe and secure you know anytime i see a random well even non-random but but look random looking hash of 64 letters and numbers and stuff i figure that's good enough there is no way anybody is able to guess it it's in no dictionary yeah. and now that i'm using a counter as a monotonically increasing, never repeating counter, there's no chance that we'll issue the same thing twice because that count will never be the same again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and in fact, we have a, I've got, I have a, oh, I ought to mention, I forgot to talk about the initialization vector. Oh, horrors. Um, oh, wow. How could you not mention the initialization vector? I know. Shocking. Um, it's, it's no good for the, even the starting point to be known. Because, you know, in my example, I start the counter at one and I encrypt it. So what if somebody knew that and they got the very first 128 bits that came out and then just started looking for keys in this in this huge 256-bit key space and they found the key that would decrypt that first thing back to the number one? Then they have again, they have found the key. Well, the fact is, nobody knows what the counter is because I've been testing it a lot, and it's up in you know some number somewhere. So there's no way to know if you got it right. But you could say, wait a minute, the count is probably still mostly zeros in the most significant bits, right? So you get a security key, or you 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 again you you brute force reverse decrypt the first 128 bits until you get a number for the counter which is small. And you could then use that to test whether your assumption that that's correct um, is in fact valid. Anyway, the initialization vector prevents that. It is an, an, an absolutely random 128 bits that you first XOR with the first counter value. Then you encrypt that, and that's what you use for XORing from then on. So you don't start is, with one. You start with a... You, some random number basically. exactly and that, it's actually and that's what the initialization vector is so i've got a 128-bit initialization vector i've got an unknown 128-bit counter value and an unknown that is to say secret 256-bit encryption key for the reindahl state-of-the-art aes encryption i think we're safe <laughs> Okay. And people are using it to protect their routers from, you know, neighbors. 
who are trying to hack into them by mistake. So I think this is uh, plenty of security. Uh, more than enough. Given it's an application, it's probably overkill. But there you go. You, ha- you have it. And that, Why yeah. not? And 3,000 people a day like to get passwords there. And now I've decided, you know, I'm going to show the algorithm I'm using and make everybody happy about the having obtained the highest level of entropy ever known. Yeah, it's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, it's doing it right. Well, Steve, once again, you have a—you uh, noticed I got very quiet during that description. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, no, you've made it up perfectly clear, and uh, and I—it's I, actually a, a fascinating area of computer science is this whole issue of pseudo number, uh, random number generation, and and so crypto. Forth. I love that yeah, stuff. Yeah. And and for people who are have had their eyes cross a little bit by listening to this, do check out the passwords page. It's just grc.com/passwords. Um, down at the bottom, I, uh, under new section called the techie details, I show uh, I have a block diagram of the algorithm and describe it further just because I thought people would get a kick out of knowing. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. And uh, and, you know, I have to say that um, uh, you, you don't have to use these, but the the whole idea of playing with it is just great. It's just really a, a neat thing to have. Who knows yep. where you might find an application for a 64 character random string <laughs> and just you yeah. never know all right uh, we're going to wrap this up if you also if you want to follow this a little bit more closely you can also read the transcription which might help uh, a little bit go to grc.com and uh, full transcriptions of all of our shows are available there as well as 16 kilobit versions for those of you who want little tiny episodes maybe because your bandwidth isn't sufficient or you just want to share it with friends grc.com that's also where you'll find spin right steve's great File or disk recovery and maintenance utility, the best ever. Still number one. No challengers. Uh, S-P-I-N-R-I-T-E dot info if you want to see some testimonials to prove it. And uh, also his free programs like Shields Up to test your uh, the, the effectiveness of your router. I, whenever I set up a new router, first place I go, Shields Up. Uh, you can also download great programs like Unplug and Pray, Shoot the Messenger, Decombobulator, and the ever-popular... Although now we know useless leak test <laughs> just for old time's sake, download it. So I actually received a piece of mail uh, when I was reading the mail last week for the mailbag episode. Some guy saying, well, if leak test is so useless, like you told you, you told us all it was the week before. Why are you still offering it? And the problem is it's it's well known. It's linked to all over the Internet and some seven or eight hundred people a day download it. Uh, just because they want to make sure that their their firewall is doing the right thing, it's even harmless. To, it's not. I mean, like I mean it's, it, it's dangerous. It right doesn't hurt you at all, and it's it's you know additional um, additional verification that just changing the name of of a program won't allow your firewall to be fooled. So right. you know it's there because it's still useful. Excellent, excellent, Steve Gibson. Wonderful job. Well, good luck with the fumigation. Uh, we yes. hope the tent comes off and the house doesn't fall down. And I'll talk to you next week, Leo, for episode 109, which will be uh, another of our Q&A episodes, which uh, I actually got a lot of email from people saying they love the Q&A. So we'll plow into that next week. Excellent. We'll see you next time on Security Now. Security Now.